So uh, I don't know if you're listening or not, but welcome. We got anybody on there? Yeah, we've got Dottie, Carol, yeah. Pam Jackson. All right. Pam, we miss you. She said she's been feeling sick. Yeah, Pam's not feeling good. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Pray that she gets better before next week. And Dottie's niece, Peggy, in prayer. Okay. We'll try to do that. Exodus chapter 20. And what what is famous about Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. Good job, Rosie. Yeah, I'm impressed you knew that. That's good. I'm impressed I knew that. That is. Where's a candy bar when you need one? <laughs> All right, we got cupcake. Hey, should we? Uh, should we got ice cream out? Should we stop and partake? Yeah, I think we did. I don't want it to melt, but yeah. If somebody wants it. Yeah, why don't somebody, let's eat it before it melts, so. <laughs> yeah, help 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 yourself. I'll just talk up here and let everybody grab something. But in, in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 3 is our first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So as we go through the course, I think in one of these lessons, we actually are encouraged to memorize the Ten Commandments. And what else is the Ten Commandments called sometimes? Have you ever heard of anything else that they've been called? The law. The law. It's closed, but it's really God's moral law. And so really almost in every culture, in every society, in every country, among every people, you can pretty much find these, everybody kind of knows that you shouldn't kill someone, right? We shouldn't lie, we shouldn't steal. So these are just really kind of God's moral law into our conscience. And down in verse... 14. Uh, Pam, you want to read verse 14? It says, You shall not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So I think Pat, I didn't didn't get to listen to all Pat's message last week, but I think that was our memory verse, wasn't it? Did anybody memorize it without looking? It is a long one. Your uh, cord's kind of what Oh, our memory verses, chapter mm. three. That wasn't a long one. I'm trying to work on my discipleship memory verses, but right. Okay, so basically everybody's making excuses, right? It's too long. It's been. Hey, I, I didn't memorize it either. <laughs> Jesus answered and said unto thee, I say verily, verily. Oh, uh, you're getting there. Okay, let's. Hey, how about we all look at it and read it together out loud here? Well, I, I think somebody she she read it. Oh. Pam read Exodus here for us. Okay. We didn't skip it. Exodus says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. 
And now here's what the New Testament says. Let's all say it. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her in adultery in his heart. I didn't say it very good either. Now... So this is word for word what the Old Testament says. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We're going to erase a little bit and see if we can still say it. All right, let's see if we can still say it without the missing words. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. All right, we're going to do it one more time. <laughs> we're all going to need to get our book. This is... Uh, <laughs> You're being wrong to us, man. <laughs> what oh. do you think? Oh. You're being wrong to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't do that. <laughs> oh. This reminds me of a game show. Why don't you have me bring yeah. some of our candy bars from home? All right, so this will be the last time. Let's, oh, man. Th- this, we'll get to this. Uh, you'll get it here. So, <laughs> ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever lusteth no that but that who let's start here again that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with his is it with her in his heart I think it's with her in his heart so we're we're close so that was that was a good start that's a good way to memorize isn't it too very excellent way of doing yeah. That's not fair. What if it's a man that uh, yeah. Yeah, woman's doing it? Is right. Fair the same? Well, that, that, that comes out in here that uh, it's really applies to a man or a woman. If, if a woman's lusting after a man in her heart, he's she's committed adultery uh, in her heart, hasn't she? Yeah. Okay, so I was feeling so guilty last Sunday by being at work and not being here at church. I, I, I got out my Bible and I was looking up. Is it a sin to work on Sunday? Huh. I wanted to be here, but I needed to make some extra money. Right. Because he said, it says um, to keep the Sabbath mm-hmm. holy. Mm-hmm. So is that like as long as I'm meditating and... and I, I would say no, just because, I mean, you're you're taking care of your family and uh, your, your company... Uh, when I was growing up, this was a big deal. What you're asking, and uh, I know a farmer. This girl I was dating, it was like 
anathema. You, you do not work on Sunday. And, and so uh, he just sat in the house all, all day on, on Sunday. And, but really, the Sabbath is a Saturday. Exactly. And, uh, and so... Uh, I don't know if you ever heard the expression Judeo-Christian values, but so the Jews, the Sabbath is a Saturday, yeah. and, and, but we come to church on a Sunday. Do, do you know why we come to church on a Sunday? No, because Christ rose from the dead on the four, on the first day of the week. So, so we observe Sunday because the Lord rose from the dead. The Bible says the first day of the week. So, Christians observe Sunday because Christ arose on that day. And the Jews were the Sabbath because it was the seventh day. It was the last day of the week. And they, they were to observe that. And so our country, we pretty much get the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, because of Judeo-Christian values. So that that's kind of how our... I don't think it's that way in other countries. Some days, I think Japan only has like Saturdays off or something. I could be wrong about that, but... Anyway, uh, so no, it, it's it's not a sin. Uh, you, you know, so so here here's kind of, I think this will probably answer your question the best. It's in Hebrews uh, eleven twenty six. It says, "Not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, especially as you see the day approaching." So, if you're forsaking the assembly. Uh-huh. That that's where the sin would be. Would that doesn't that make sense to everybody? Mm-hmm. But but you're not forsaking the assembly. It's like ah, I got to work. That's my job. I got to pay my bill. I got to take care of my family. Yeah. So that's the difference. And it's your heart. So too. so that that the line is probably if you're using it as an excuse. forsaking the assembly. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. Okay. Good. So, uh, so in this class, this this is lesson three. We're starting lesson three, uh, chapter three of eight lessons on uh, the way of the master uh, evangelism class. And uh, does anybody remember our chapter one, the memory verse? It was Hebrews nine twenty seven. It's. Uh, I think it says, "And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, but after that the judgment." And so we use that that to say that there's coming a day of judgment for all of us. And so some people have extrapolated from that to just ask people, "Do you know where you're going if you were to die? Would you go to heaven or hell?" Because there is a judgment coming. And in this lesson. Uh, this is this this was the memory verse from chapter two that uh, we want uh, people to realize. You know, d- d- does anybody know what the Bible definition of sin is? That might help with your question too, Sarah. Uh, it's it's First John, I think it's four three. It says uh, that sin is a transgression of the law. Sin is a transgression of God's law. So when we transgress and we violate, like like we're saying with with what your question was, Sarah, if we are to forsake the assembly, then we're transgressing God's law, so therefore it becomes a sin. And so so when we try to witness to people, this, 
this is Jesus' words on the law. He, he says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the law. But he's, he's adding the spirit of the law is, we really shouldn't be lusting after people of the opposite sex either. So when we witness to people, uh, they, they give this example last week. I don't, I don't know if you picked up on it, but uh, Kirk Cameron said something like, if someone rushed up to you and said, I want to pay your $25,000 fine, uh, that would be like me coming up to a lost person saying, uh, you need to get saved and trust Christ as your Savior. That They may not know that they have a fine or that they've transgressed or they've... But if you come up to someone and say, you know, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not bear false witness, which means you shouldn't lie. Have you ever lied? Oh. Well, have you ever lusted after someone in your heart? Uh, yeah. So these are you so so you've transgressed God's law. You're an adulterer at heart, you're a liar. And uh so but uh, about that $25,000 fine, Kirk Cameron said, if I told you you were clocked going 55 mile an hour through this uh school zone where there was a convention of blind kids and the speed limit was actually 15 and you were doing 55, uh, someone could have been killed or seriously injured, but I want to pay your fine. I mean, he's explaining how you've transgressed the law. So then it makes sense. I do have a fine. I have violated the law. And so, uh, but, so today's lesson on chapter 3, uh, in fact, does everybody have their book with them? I know I should remind people, uh, try to bring your books each week if you can. And uh, I'll go ahead and order a few more. I, I've, I've held off doing it. We ordered, I think, 20. But uh, at the end of chapter 2, it said some pretty cool things that I was going to bring out. You know what? Um, but you see at the bottom of page 30 is, is these memory verses. So the, la- the last page on each chapter has the memory verses. So uh, so that's one thing. Let's, let's go to the end of chapter 3. It's page 41. Oh, it's another long memory verse. Wow. So, yeah, so there, there's one we'll quiz us on next week. So, but let, let's turn to the, the page 31 at the beginning of lesson three here. This overcoming fear. 31? Yeah, page 31 where it says, share your experiences. It says, think of a time when you sense that you should have shared the gospel with someone but didn't. Why, why didn't you? And this says to assemble into groups of two or three and briefly discuss your experiences, then share the results of the previous sessions, break out of your comfort zone assignment. Was it as difficult as you thought it would be to greet strangers this past week? Were you fearful or did you have negative thoughts uh, just before you did? And so this uh, material recognizes that one of the greatest... 
uh, obstacles of sharing our faith is, is fear and overcoming it. Uh, does anyone want to comment a time with they they knew they should have shared the gospel and didn't uh, I know I have uh, froze up or, or did you have any experience this week that you'd like to share with the class that you did share the gospel or uh, Connie do you have something I was in the thrift store wearing my uh, denim jacket that has an American flag on it and as I'm walking through some woman comes up and says I really like your jacket mm. and I turned around and I said yeah I think America really needs the encouragement right now we're going through an awful lot she says, my son is in the service, and mm. I said, I wanted to thank you for that. And she looked kind of taken aback a little bit, and, and we was talking, and I said, you know, in the Bible, Hannah gave her son to God. Mm. In his hands, he did great things for his people. And I just wanted to say thank you that you uh. gave your son to serve us. Huh. And I gave her a hug, and she followed me around the huh. whole store, and she said, you've really blessed me. Huh. And, and she just kept following me around the store. And huh. It was really kind of interesting. Wow. And I really, before I did it, I said, God, would you please say whatever you want to say out of my mouth, and don't let it be me. And if you don't want me to say anything, let me just walk away, because I was all in on the walking away. <laughs> <laughs> but something kind of cool happened. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was, we, we call it a divine appointment. You, you felt like the Lord was in that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't really leading her to Christ. You could just tell yeah. uh, that you could tell she was a Christian because she was understanding what I was mm. saying. Mm. So I, I don't know why, but it wasn't led to give her, you know, a leader to the Lord. Sorry, Angie, I didn't get you led to the Lord on Friday. Oh, <laughs> but I'm glad you ate good on the first day. It was, oh, and maybe if Pat would have gave me a million dollars, I could have done that. There you go. Uh, uh, well, that, that's sweet. Uh, anybody else? Uh, um, a couple, uh, like two different times this week, I um, had come across some like homeless people, mm. and. Um, I just stopped and I said, um, I handed them one of the tracks that we got and I said, you know, when I felt alone and uh, like I had nowhere else to turn, God was there for me. And, mm. and then I, I handed them the track. And that is really good, Sarah. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but I said, I understand, you know, where you're at right now and I'll pray for you. Yeah. So th- think about think about what we just heard here. So, uh, Connie had an opportunity just you used kind of what was in front of you your flag on your jacket and our country and we're in trouble and 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 it just led to so that was more of a spontaneous and uh, but you were you were pretty prepared because you were praying even so that that's sweet and, and Sarah yours was uh, maybe more intentional because you went to that person yeah. whereas they came to Connie um, but but turn to thirty three because all of us have to kind of kind of we speak the truth, but we have to make it our own, don't we? I mean, when we when we watch these guys, we're going to watch something here. And just there's a thirteen minute video, but think think how you present the gospel. But here at the top of page thirty three. 
or uh, even the bottom of page 32, applying the principles, it says, now we're going to have fun with a role play in a safe environment. It says, break into pairs, preferably the same sex. Take a few minutes to practice e- giving each other icebreaker to your non-Christian partner so they can begin to get comfortable using these new tools. There's no pressure to share the gospel at this point. Then it says, here are some suggested phrases that can be used when passing out tracts. Now, I really like these. Uh, just initially, you can ha- you know, did you get one of these? And uh, this next one is specifically these million-dollar tracks. It says, uh, you're doing a great job. Keep the change. I appreciate your doing. Thanks a million. So you can do that as you give out a million-dollar track. Do you like obstacle illusions? Watch this. And and this video is going to go over this. And then do you like the IQ test? And 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 one one thing I do I've went door to door some and and so even if you say if you go to a door to a total stranger and just say you know we're with Heartland Baptist Fellowship and we're uh, you know going through your neighborhood just asking people if we can pray for you you, you know people are pretty receptive can we pray for you or yeah. you know as the conversation go you, you my, my brother taught me this he he said uh, you can ask do you have a church home and if they say yes and uh, you can follow up with you know that that's really important to have a church home but do you have a home in heaven and and so you, you see how you can kind of keep going with those kind of phrases and so those are things that I do and um, so anyway let, let's watch this uh, about overcoming our fear this, this is uh, this first part is 13 minutes and uh, Sarah I'll have you shut off the light here as soon as this gets going just let it start here first moral responsibility that each of us as Christians have to seek and save the lost. We're like a good firefighter who cannot let himself become lazy or unconcerned or pretend that he doesn't realize that people are in danger. We know that 150,000 people die every 24 hours, most of them without Christ facing eternity in hell. And we looked at the wonderful God-given key, the Ten Commandments, the Lord of God that brings the knowledge of sin, opens the door of the human heart and shows someone they've sinned against God and why they need the Savior. Now, can you tell me what is the number one reason most Christians do not share their faith? It's a disgusting word. I don't even like saying it. You know what it is? Fear. Perhaps you're like us, and you have a battle with fear. And even now you're thinking to yourself, how did I get roped into doing this course? But what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of someone not liking us, a sense of rejection? Are we afraid of not having the right words to answer someone and feeling a little foolish? Listen, if anyone understands what it's like to want people to like you, it's me. I mean, I've made my living off of it. My career and my livelihood as an actor depends on people liking me. But as a Christian, I know that I have a higher calling, and that is to please God by speaking the truth in love. And I know that sometimes that means I will displease men and women, and sometimes they won't like me because of it. I battle with fear almost every time I get a witness to someone. 
Seriously, every little old lady I go to speak to suddenly in my mind looks like this huge Goliath who wants to rip me in pieces and feed my flesh to the birds. And the problem is, I have an over-fertile imagination. But I've learned there are certain principles we can have to deal with these fears. And that's what we're going to look at in this episode. All right, let's start by looking at something very interesting about these fears. How many of you in the room would like to try skydiving? Now, please raise your hand up in the air. Anybody? Beckowitz? Sarah? Okay, this is a very interesting experience. At least two of us. Put your hand up in the air if you'd like to try skydiving. Okay, now, how many of you would like to try bungee jumping? Or how many of you have and love it? Put your hand up in the air. Same people? Anybody? Yeah. Now, how many of you like roller coasters? Hands up in the air. Please let everybody hand right now. I kind of like roller coasters. Now... What is it about these things that we like? It's the love of that feeling of fear. It's the <laughs> adrenaline rush. Uh-huh. A girl in our church tried skydiving. When her parachute became twisted, she fell to her death at the age of 17. A girl in California jumped with an instructor. And when their parachute became twisted, her friends heard her screaming as their body... Their bodies hit the ground. They felt it shudder 100 yards away. I saw a man on television try bungee jumping. His bungee snapped. Another one they showed where the bungee went into a loop, into a noose, and got caught around its neck. More than 50 people have died in recent years in the U.S. on roller coaster rides. Isn't it strange? We're prepared to put our lives on the line for the love of fear, and yet we're fearful to a point of paralysis when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to telling someone how they can find everlasting life. Well, that's crazy. So what's going on here? Well, the Bible tells us there are different kinds of fear. There is a fear that has torment, and that fear does not come from God. It's demonic. And that's the kind of fear that you and I will battle with every time we try to share our faith. Do you remember in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul was gathering sticks. He was building a fire, and when he picked up some sticks, the Bible says a viper fastened to his hand. The scriptures say, Paul shook the beast off into the fire. And that's what you and I need to do with fear. When that viper fastens to our evangelistic hand, we need to learn to shake it off. So how do we do that? How do we shake the beast of fear off of our hand? Well, the number one way to get rid of fear is to have compassion. In other words, learn to care more about the other person than you care about yourself. Think about it. What's my worst case scenario? When I go to witness to someone, well, they could say, go away, you silly little man with a mustache. And I have a sense of rejection. But what's their worst case scenario? Well, they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. So what you and I need to do is develop a sense of compassion so that when we go up to someone, we forget about ourselves and we think about them and where they're going to spend eternity. The second principle for overcoming fear is to let your fear become your strength. Let your fears work for you. Listen to this story. Two frogs fell into a bowl of cream and got stuck. Now, one of the frogs said, oh, look at me, I'm stuck in this cream, I can't seem to get out, I think I'll just sink back down and die. The other frog said, I will not croak in a bowl of cream. And so he began to kick his little legs and splash, and he flapped his little flippers, and you know what happened? 
the, the cream thickened to the point where it became hard butter and he leaped out. I love this frog. <laughs> what you and I have got to learn to do is kick against fear, to fight against it, and it will eventually become a platform from which we can leap. Here's why. Our fears tend to make us pray. When I get a witness to someone, I'm thinking to myself, oh Lord, I'm so fearful. Please help me. So what happens is my fear actually mm. becomes my strength because it drives me to my knees. And God said, my mm. strength is made perfect in your weakness. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So welcome your fears because they'll bring you to your knees. And every Christian knows that's where we get our strength. You know, the hardest part for me about sharing my faith is always getting started. It's right at the beginning. It's when I'm wanting to bring up the subject of God. How do I do that without offending somebody or looking like a weirdo? Do you ever feel that way? Well, what if I could give you something that would take away all of the fear and tension for the first 60 seconds of bringing up the subject? What if it would break the ice and open the way for you to share your faith openly and honestly? And it would even make a person smile or laugh. And if you're a really shy person, it would even do the talking for you. Well, I've got it. Watch this. You like optical illusions? Which one looks longer, the pink or the blue? The pink or the blue? Are you sure? And the truth is, they're the exact same size. And I give these to people, and they usually say, oh, wow, thanks a lot. Do you have any more of these? And I'll say, sure. And I'll give them to them and say, read the back. It has some interesting facts about your eyes, and it also has a gospel presentation. And they'll say, thanks. And one of the other things I love to give people to start a conversation is this great little booklet. And I tell people that a new study has come out, so they need to read it carefully. It's called Everything Man Has Learned About Women. And then you start to read it. And sure enough, as they read through the pages, they inside. They make sure that they read the back cover because it has some more interesting facts about God. And people love these. And this is my favorite. Yeah. This is a million dollar bill. Now, it's not counting because there's no such thing as a million dollar bill, but it looks real. Well, if there was a million dollar bill, it would look like this. Um, and on the back, it's got a gospel presentation which begins with a million dollar question. And it's so easy to give out because people love money and they're fascinated by a million dollars. So I just say, excuse me, I say what? It's doing a great job. Keep the change. Or it's great when you get the change. So this is so easy to give out. I keep it in my wallet. I often I'll just say, oh, um, just remember my face. And I show my picture in my wallet. I've got a strange picture, may notice. <laughs> But it makes people laugh, and, and it makes them feel relaxed. And they say, are you a stand-up comedian? I say, well, I'm standing up, but I'm really not a comedian. And then I say, well, this is where I'm from. And I give them a little card. It looks like a business card, and it's got across the top, Department of Annoyance. <laughs> I say, I'm the director, and it says director. It makes people smile. I say, check the back. And they turn it over the back, and as they begin to read the back, they turn it upside down, and it's actually written in reverse, the gospel presentation, so they have to take it to a mirror to read it. I say, is that annoying or what? I've seen it. It is annoying. Yeah. It's my little routine, and it makes me feel relaxed. I know where I'm going with it. Ninety-nine percent of people I do that routine on laugh. They feel comfortable. I feel comfortable. And it gets gospel tracks into their hands. You might also like to try uh, the smart card. 
This is lots of fun. You tell them to put their thumb on the red square for 15 seconds, and if they're a good person, it'll turn a bluish-green color. And you see people putting their thumb on it and, and going, okay, I'll try it, I'll try it. And then nothing happens. You flip it over on the back, and it tells them that the dictionary definition of good is to be morally excellent. And they have a quick test to see if that's true of them. Or if someone tells you that, yeah, yeah, they'll think about God when they get around to it. Well, hand them this. It's around to it. <laughs> Tell them to read the back when they get a chance. And then if you're just too shy, you can simply drop your wallet. There's a personality analysis on the inside that shares the gospel as well. Well, perhaps you could use this one. Say, excuse me, you couldn't change a large bill, could you? <laughs> and on the back it has a gospel presentation. <laughs> and you would come and ask you. Well, maybe you're not the humorous type. Well, you could use this one. It's an IQ test. It has these words, Paris in the spring, bird in the hand, once in a lifetime. And people read it as that, but it doesn't actually say that. It says, Paris in the, the spring, bird in the, the hand, once in a, a lifetime. And they say, hey, try the back. And on the back, there are six questions about God. And in a few moments, lightheartedly, you can find out exactly what a person believes about God, what they believe about eternity, and what they're trusting in to be saved. And the wonderful thing about these icebreakers is that they work on a 10-year-old kid or a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon. I, the reason is because not only are they funny or fascinating, but the back or the inside have words that are specially crafted to go around the intellect and speak directly to the conscience. That is the place of the knowledge of right and wrong. And that's what makes them so unique. I was on a plane recently and I placed some million dollar bills in my shirt pocket. It's just the hype, the big businessmen sitting in the business class, so their eyes would fasten on the million dollar bill. Well, I'd just take one out and say, oh, would you like one? It's great when you get the change. I ended up giving out 30 of these million dollar bills as I walked down the plane because people heard the person in front getting excited about me. When I sat down down the back, the flight attendant followed me down and said, there's a guy down the front wants one of those million dollar bills. Uh -huh. So I gave her a handful and she turned around with the rest of the passengers and said, anyone else like one of these? And she started giving them out. And even during the flight, a lady came up to me and just pointed at my shirt pocket. She wanted one. These are wonderful. Instead of avoiding opportunities, I now look for opportunities because I've got these to help me. And your group leader should have some of these icebreakers uh, in the course that you're taking so that you can experiment with them. And if he or she doesn't have them, you can easily go to the website at wayofthemaster.com and get some for yourself. <laughs> They're wonderful, and we highly recommend that you try them because non-Christians will even ask you for more to take home to show their friends and family. It says to pause the video here, <clears throat> but uh, I think to get through, go ahead and turn the light on just for a second, Chuck. Once you learn to use an icebreaker to start a conversation. I don't know if we'll get through all, there's about 20 minutes left, so we could, uh, but l l let me pass around this box. Pat, Pat has all these. If you want some million-dollar questions or million-dollar bills, uh, there's some icebreakers in there. So, yeah, grab grab whatever you want, uh, and we can order more. I think he said their their website is wayofthemaster.com, and I think it's also under Living Waters. I think they have – does that sound right, Jim? Yeah. There's a Living Waters website.
But uh, since we only got about 20 minutes in class, let's uh, let's go ahead and play the rest of this video. But read lesson three this week. Try to memorize a verse and uh, hand out some tracks, and we'll we'll probably do some. Uh, Role playing next week. We'll probably see. Yeah. All right. You're not going to be afraid. You're not going to get into an argument because you're going to address the conscience. And that's what we're going to teach you how to do in this episode for the conscience. to have a conscience because when if I do in a way it kind of causes frustration really it really does like it causes frustration in a way so that's why I try not to have one and then just let things go easily and let things flow at the same time do you always listen to your conscience no <laughs> no I don't um, but most of the time it's right let me ask you this do you do you like hearing from your conscience um, typically typically well I think it's such a it's welded to me so uh, tightly that it's part of me and I don't discriminate if it's I like it or don't like it it's whether I listen or don't listen I think so uh, because it speaks all the time what do you think the conscience is how would you define the human conscience? Human conscience? Conscience is, uh, I would define it as that lingering bell that, that, that doesn't allow you to forget whether you do wrong or right. Uh, Have you been listening to your conscience lately? Oh, yeah. I'm, I was listening to it right now before you walked up. <laughs> Here's how the dictionary defines the conscience. Conscience. The human faculty that enables one to decide between right and wrong acts of behavior, especially in regards to one's own conduct. So, in everyday language, it's saying that the conscience is what helps us to know the difference between right and wrong, especially in terms of the things that we are doing ourselves. It's been described as the impartial judge in the courtroom of the mind. Or in other words, that witness that will stand up, not taking sides, but will always speak the truth. As Christians, we often underestimate the conscience. It is so powerful it can drive someone to drink or even to suicide. The incredible thing is that God has given a conscience to every human being. The Bible says God has given light to every man, and it's true. You can go to the deepest, most primitive tribes of Africa and South America, people with bones through their nose and plates in their lip, and they have the conscience, the work of the Lord, written on their hearts. They know it's wrong to lie and right. steal and commit adultery. The word conscience actually means with knowledge, con with science, knowledge. So every time we lie, steal, lust, fornicate, blaspheme, we do it with knowledge that it's wrong. Turn on the television to hear a chef say that he was going to sear a steak. So I immediately sat up because the Bible speaks of the conscience being seared as with a hot iron. That is, it's lost its life on the outside. So I watched closely what he was going to do. He took the steak and he put it on a hot plate. 
They left it for a moment, and then he turned it. And he said, see this? It's seared on the outside, but watch this. And he took a sharp blade and cut into the steak and said, look, it is soft and tender on the inside. Perhaps you know someone who's hardened on the outside. They say they don't agree with God's standards of right and wrong. Well, then take the sharp blade of God's law and cut deep into their conscience, and you'll find they're soft and tender on the inside. Deep within their heart, they know right from wrong. So the question is, how do we speak to a person's conscience? How do we use the conscience to reach the lost? Think about this. If I were to say something to you like, listen to the voice of your conscience. Remember, God sees everything you've ever done. Now listen to what your conscience is telling you. That's a very powerful thing. The other way that we can speak to the conscience is by doing what Jesus did and take a person through the commandments. Say you're guilty of a 
crime. It's a serious crime, like drug pushing or something like that. Yeah. And the judge says, what do you have to say for yourself? What's your name? Tanya. Tanya, you say, Tanya, Tanya stands up and says, well, judge, um, I'd just like to say that most of the time I'm really good, but I just slipped up this one time and sold this cocaine, and I'm hoping you'll just let me go, because I'm really good most of the time. The judge would say, well, all this good stuff is irrelevant to the case and the reason you're here, right? You'd be guilty for that crime. sees your thoughts, he's giving you a conscience to know right from wrong, and uh, you'd be guilty of breaking his law, do you think you'd still go to heaven? I think I've learned from the things I've done wrong, and I think I've done a lot of good to make up for those things. So. so you think you'd go to heaven? Yeah. Well, and, and how about you? Well, I would hope I'd go to heaven. Uh, uh, do you think God should, let me ask you this, do you think God should let murderers go unpunished? If someone murdered your, your mom, let's just say, and he was never brought to justice, should God just not care and let that person go? No, I think he's trying to And he, yeah, he yeah, probably yeah. makes sense for him to, to make sure that people are brought to justice. Well, here's what, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. All thieves and adulterers, blasphemers, they won't enter the kingdom of heaven because they've sinned against a holy God, and God is going to punish sin wherever it's found because he's perfect and pure. We have a conscience, and since I've broken those things too, I'd be guilty, and we know right from wrong. And so, the Bible says the biggest problem we have is, is not just dying, but dying without God's forgiveness, and that's what we need is His forgiveness, and that's why He gave us the Ten Commandments, to sh like a mirror to show us, oh my gosh, sort of like the look that you had in your face, I broke that one, I broke that one, I've been in court, I broke that one, okay, but I'm hoping He'll let me go. Here's how, here's how you can be set free. The Bible says God made a way for you to be forgiven. Do you have any idea what that is? Repent. Well, well, in the same way, that's part of it. If you say to a judge, judge, I'm guilty, I really did the crime, he's not going to let you off the hook. He said, you should be sorry. Right. You know? Here's, what, here's, here's, here's the deal. You're in the courtroom. You're guilty of a crime. You can't pay your fine because it's so high. All of a sudden, someone else comes in and goes up to the judge and hands him a check and pays your fine. And then you're set free on the grounds that your fine has been paid. Okay? The Bible says that's what God did for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross to take your punishment. That God became a man. He suffered and died on the cross. That was Jesus Christ. And uh, he took your punishment for you. So it's like we broke the law and then Jesus paid our fine and we can be set free on the grounds that he died for us. And that if we'll repent, like you were saying, turn away from our sin once and for all and put our faith in Jesus, which means not just believe but trust him the same way you trust in a parachute if you're jumping out of a plane. It doesn't be any good to just believe in it, but to trust him that God will forgive you of your sins once and for all and, and he will um, grant you the gift of everlasting life. So that's the, the biggest solution to the biggest problem, is that we're guilty, we need God's forgiveness, and he offers it as a free gift if you'll repent and put your faith in Jesus. If you guys died tonight, knowing what you know now about your sin and looking at your heart in the mirror of the commandments, do you think maybe you need to have a conversation with God before you go to sleep tonight and, and uh, make sure that your heart's right with him? tragic thing about methods of modern evangelism, and when I say modern evangelism, that may sound like a strange phrase to many people, but what we mean by that is that the way 
that we are presenting the gospel today in many of our churches is radically different from the way it has been presented for the last couple thousand years. The way that Jesus presented it, the way Paul did, great preachers like Charles Spurgeon and Whitfield and Wesley, men with powerful ministries. And what modern evangelism has done is it's decided to avoid addressing the conscience because it doesn't want to make a person feel guilty. It doesn't want to offend them. So we say things that uh, appeal to a person's desire for happiness instead of showing them their sin and letting their guilty conscience drive them to a merciful God. We use phrases like all have sinned, which is absolutely true, and that's scripture. But can you imagine if... My son deliberately disobeyed me, and my response to him is after I sat him down and said, Son, all children disobey their father. Well, that's not going to help him see the seriousness of his transgression. That's going to diffuse it. It's going to spread out the problem uh, across the landscape of all children. And what Nathan the prophet did and what Jesus did and Paul did is they made the sin personal by addressing a person's conscience. And we can do that too by bringing in the commandments or the essence of God's moral standard to show a person that they are in trouble on Judgment Day before a holy God. Ho, ho, Sir Surgeon. You are too delicate to tell the man that he is ill. You hope to heal the sick without their knowing it. You therefore flatter them. And what happens? They laugh at you. They dance upon their own graves, and at last they die. Your delicacy is cruelty. Your flatteries are poisons. You are a murderer. Shall we keep men in a fool's paradise? Shall we lull them into soft slumbers from which they will awake in hell? Are we to become helpers of their damnation by our smooth speeches? In the name of God, we will not. Now, Kirk, when you're a child and your parent gives you medicine, it always seems to taste bitter. What a parent could do is water down the medicine to get rid of that bitter taste. It may be palatable for the child, but it's going to lose its curative properties. And when we look at the message that God has given us, we can soften it a little to make it palatable to the sinner by taking out bitter things such as references to righteousness, judgment, and sin, and the Ten Commandments. Now, that's understandable, though, because I remember sharing my faith. The last word I wanted to come to was the part about sin. I didn't want to mention hell. I didn't want to mention God's wrath, even though I know that stuff's in the Bible. So it's understandable. But the problem with removing those words is, 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 is like a firefighter running up to a building. People are sleeping. And if he opens the door but fails to use the words of, wake up, fire, you're going to die, run. Well, then he's not going to help them because those are the words they need to hear so that they understand the danger they're in. Right. If we fail to warn them and stir their conscience, they won't flee to God's mercy that's in Jesus Christ. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, the reason that many non-Christians don't have a fear of the Lord is because they've been told that God loves them, that everything they do, God is love and everything is going to be fine. They have this picture of God as this sort of uh, heavenly father figure with a sweater on just waiting to give them gifts when they arrive in heaven. What they don't understand is that God is also holy and righteous and pure and has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Now listen to what A.W. Tozer said happens when we have a wrong understanding of the character of God. 
God's justice stands forever against the sinner in utter severity. The vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity, while death draws every day nearer and the command to repent goes unregarded. As responsible moral beings, we dare not so trifle with our eternal future. The human mind is at enmity to God. The Bible says it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That's in the book of Romans chapter 8. There is a war between man and God. We're enemies of God in our mind through wicked works. But we have that ally of the conscience. It's written in the heart of the enemy. And that ally works independent of the sinner's will. And when you and I say to a sinner, God's given you a conscience. You know it's wrong to steal, don't you? You know it's wrong to lie. You know it's wrong to commit adultery. Listen to the voice of your conscience. Remind them that God sees the sins of their youth and that it will bring every work to judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Then they'll see the need of God's forgiveness and flee to Jesus Christ and his blood and be cleansed from sin so they can face a holy God on the day of judgment and receive his gift of everlasting life. I think I'm going to stop it there just uh, <clears throat> so we can close up if you want to turn that light back on. We'll... Uh, so we'll, we'll pick up with that video next week and uh, we're about out of time here <clears throat> one thing I wanted to mention uh, so everybody got some tracks and we're going to kind of wade out in the waters of try to witness somebody this week uh, I know I've got a guy at work almost every day he asks me if there's something I, he can help me with because you know, of my bad arm and uh, he's a young kid and Anyway, I have, I'm just really praying I just need to overcome my fear. And so uh, we all have people like that in our lives. Now, one thing, uh, Leo and Amita, you guys talked about having some kind of a Christmas dinner with our class. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, me and Jim looked at, uh, we were thinking December 5th. Okay. December 5th. Uh, so we'll have more to come about that and uh, let us help prepare something. You guys did it all last time. Let us help with something. That's right. So we're we're going to we'll uh we'll we'll figure out some of the logistics, but uh we think that it's December 5th. So that's a little over a month from today. It'll it's a Saturday and we'll be here at the church about 5 o'clock in the on a Saturday evening in the in the kitchen area. So I wanted to make that announcement. Is that you think that sounds good? Yes. So thank you for bringing that up, idea. And yes. so th- this will be kind of a class party on December fifth. And uh, but yeah, do do think how we can give out some of this uh, literature this week. But uh, I think I'll just let out early if we want to get any more cake and ice cream and. Uh, fellowship a little bit more, but uh, do you have one something? Yeah, I got a question. If we do the party, are we going to, I know like one year we did for the uh, Lily House. Cause yeah, I don't think we're going to probably go down, but we might invite them up to well, something like that. Buying gifts for the children or something like that. Uh, Life Issues is going to do something for kids, Rosie. So. Okay. I like those growing up. Yeah, good. So, all right, well, let's, uh, thanks for coming back. Do, do you anybody got any other questions or thoughts or 
So, okay, well, let's pray and be dismissed. Thanks for joining us online. Dottie had a prayer of, was it her niece? Her niece, Peggy, and that Pam would get better before the mama. Yeah, oh, that's right, she's going, hmm. All right, well, let's uh, pray for these things. And I know uh, the uh, Passpoint class, they handed out some tracks for Halloween last night. And so Brian said we should pray that... uh, that those went, uh, you know, for hearts that got tracks last night. So let, let's pray again here and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for this uh, class, Lord, as we, we think intentionally about our neighbors, our friends, our family, uh, co-workers that are lost and they're going to go into a Christless eternity. And, and Lord, burden us about that, Father. Your Son, Jesus Christ, He he came to die for our sins. And so, Lord, may we uh, set aside our comforts and uh, our fear of being neglected or... Um, just that we don't know enough or or whatever fears we may have, Lord, to help us to set them aside this week and earnestly have a compassion for the lost. And uh, so, Father, help uh, Dottie's niece. We want to pray for her at this time as she's uh, ill. And, um, Lord, I pray for the folks that got gospel tracts last night over Halloween that were passed out. I pray that uh, the that uh, seed that was planted will not be plucked up by the enemy and um, I'm like I'm forgetting any, any others but uh, dismiss us now with your blessing and uh, Lord we love you in Jesus name Amen, amen. amen. Alright we'll close up here Yes if you would that would help I was going to call the church and reserve it I'll do the event for us in writing Perfect Good.